Can you hear us? Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the first ever Secret Third Thing Live. My name is <laughs> Jed Trouble. My pronouns are he, they. I am a Rin Cerebral. My pronouns are they, them. And you can find us on Instagram at a Secret Third Thing Podcast and also on all the streaming services where you find podcasts. I first want to thank all the organizers and the volunteers and all the artists who are making this such an amazing festival. Thanks so much. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about pod mapping for radical relating and why it's more important now than ever as we are still experiencing this mass disabling event. So I want to start talking about pod mapping, which was coined by Mia Mingus, mm -hmm. a disabled, queer, Korean, transnational adoptee, and the Bay Area Collective. A transformative justice collective. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Who coined the term pod to describe relationships, to turn to for safety, accountability, transformation of behaviors and healing. And we wanted to talk about expanding that as well to the support that we need when we become disabled, when we're sick, whether that's with COVID or other illnesses. Mm -hmm. We've passed out the pacing protocol, which was designed for people with ME-CFS, which I was disabled by post-viral illness over a decade ago, long before COVID. Um, and I think it's a really great pacing protocol to implement whenever you're sick because that decreases your chances of developing post-viral illness. And it's something that we can only do in community with each other, encouraging each other to, to rest when we're sick, to cook each other meals, mutual aid. Um, so there's many different ways that we can utilize pods in support, not, not just uh, for after harm has happened to us, but also in creating these networks of support. So we want to talk about like what is pod mapping because that's the whole like we're gonna go into that like in like how how to do it and I wanted to connect it directly to also the the point of our podcast. So our podcast like the tagline is beyond monogamy and polyamory, uh, a secret third thing, um, <laughs> and so really our goal in in having this podcast is just to try to think of encourage people to like think about relationships more expansively and so this tool the, the pod mapping which we'll, we're going to talk about does come directly from transformative justice and disability justice lineages and because of our shared experience uh, Jet and I of being disabled I think it just is like very obvious to us how it can like feed into thinking about relationships in a more expansive and radical way. So that's why <laughs> why we're talking about it. So I'm wondering like if we should go into talking about like yeah, like what what it is. Yeah, sure. And then like how how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the pod mapping sheet that we handed out, um, you put yourself in the middle bubble. You write your name in the middle gray circle. And the surrounding bold outlined circles are your pod. And I do want to say we're going to touch on this more, but it's very common for most of us to not have a pod at all or many people that we feel that we can rely on. So this is about uh, 
taking some risks and chances to try to expand that and to think about people who could be movable into your pod. I think too, another way to think about like what is a pod or a pod map is really just like um, a visualization of your relational networks. I don't know who all has the, the sheets that, were, that we had passed out, but regardless of whether you write it down, <laughs> um, you might still have a, a pod. But this is just like what we're talking about is like really just trying to like find a way to put it down on paper to help you see the networks that you have or for some of us the networks that we don't have and if that's the case it's really like having that knowledge of like how your relational networks exist can help you figure out like where the, uh, where you need support and like what what where are the gaps in your yeah in your network of care yeah um, and there so. can be a lot of grief surrounding that as well where in some of the other episodes we've talked about how specifically surrounding chronic illness and disability there have been times where i realize i have no support anymore um, so starting from the ground up can be intimidating but it is worth the risk and the work and to also be curious about what support you can provide to people in your life or maybe people that you would like to get closer to and make those bids for connection so also yeah you can go more into the actually yeah. how to do it. I feel like the context was maybe necessary yeah of course. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah so for specifically just to create the pod in the visual aid the surrounding bold outline circles are your pod and you write the names of people who um, are, are already in your pod or people that you know you can call upon. And then the dotted lines surrounding the pod are people who are movable, people who could be moved into your pod but need a little more work. And then the larger circles at the edge of the page are for networks, communities, or groups that could be resources for you. Yeah, what can, what can be included? on the pod map. Well, I mean, you just kind of mentioned that. I, I'm wondering if like, maybe we could share about some some people in in our own pods or, or like how we kind of configure, configure that in our own lives. Yeah, I think there's also too a difference between having a hierarchy versus people you feel more comfortable with for certain types of support. And I think it's really good to to work to continue to build resilience and more trust with more people. Uh, for instance, a big reason why this is so important to me, right now I'm going through a big shift in my own pod where I'm moving away from a connection that was once very supportive for me. And it's been, especially having gone from having no pod support to now, I've had so much support in this shift where that gap is being filled, where I feel like if I, if I didn't have that support, I would be struggling so much more um, where I feel right now I'm like I have the support that I need to get through this and it's a big change but I'm ready to deal with it because I show up for these people in my life and they're able to show up for me here so moving away from this hierarchical model of only having one person that's your romantic connection uh, being someone that, that you talk to about really hard stuff in your life when there's conflict that is not resolvable, it can really devastate us. So I think having these networks is really wonderful for the complexity of that in life as well as things changing for whatever reason. Um, something I'm wondering about, if maybe you could like speak on, sure. is I know that like there has been like, like there, there was a time before like we learned about this 
and like integrated it in our own life and I can even speak for myself where like for me last year at Totally Awesome Fest I did a workshop for like the the relationship anarchy smorgasbord um and I was like talking about it like as if I had done it like a million times and the reality <laughs> is that I like definitely hadn't like actually sat down and like really did it but the tool is still useful for me because of all of the the things on the on the tool which if you're not like familiar with it you know look it up we referenced it in literally every episode <laughs> um just seeing like the once again it's like the visualization of like these are the different things that relationships can contain and it helped me think about my relationships in a different way so that way i could actually yeah get more out of my connections and so like with this tool i um i, I have had like explicit conversations with people to like ask them like if they can support me in specific ways and I think that it's like a big part of when I've attended workshops with Mia Mingus who is um who we reference uh, who is like a big person who has got this framework like kind of up and running she talks about how uh, important it is to like have that like kind of like consent conversation with people um because a lot of times we might have this support, like our potential possibility for support that exists in our lives, but we're not actually having these um, explicit conversations to like be like, okay, like if I am in a crisis, you know, is it possible that you can show up for me in this, you know, in this specific way? And so when we don't have those conversations, what happens is we might assume because we spend a lot of time with someone that like they'll just be there for whatever we need and it can be really devastating when that's not the case and so I think that like well for me I know that that's kind of what's inspired me to think about using this tool um, and honestly you know this is like a jumping off point but it's like so I mean to go back to kind of what I, why I started saying what I'm saying, I have like use it in a like a formal way to a degree, but much more often I use this framework of pod mapping as like um, kind of inspiration just for me to really think about like uh, how I can make more concrete the support in my life while also recognizing that even if someone says yeah I can show up for you in this way it's not necessarily um, you know things can come up it might yeah. not you know totally always say the same but like it's still helpful so I think I wanted to share that and then what I wanted to like ask you about Jet if you wanted to share anything about like from now where you you have this conceptualization of a pod for yourself and how you know you have this uh, relational rupture that like in the past could have been extremely destabilizing I was wondering if you wanted to share any reflections on the difference between now and in the past like when yeah. you didn't necessarily have this uh, kind of framework is accessible to you I think in the past, I would have struggled to ask for support with something that's so so heavy and difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas now, in 
and not just identifying what I have to offer other people, which which is also the beauty of pod mapping as well. It's not just figuring out how I need support, but what support I can give. And knowing that I've given support to my friends through through heavy shit, I mm-hmm. felt empowered to say, you know what, I can't I can ask for support. And if this person isn't available, there's other people that I can call. So it's been this almost like revolving door of support where I don't feel like I'm burning anybody out. And that helps me to be more honest about where I'm at and about what I need as well. Whereas I think perhaps before having this kind of pod support, I would not have been able to really name what I needed. And you were there. Uh, there were times where I said, I don't know what I need. All I know is I can't be alone right now. I need to need to be with a friend. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that's been a big change for me and not trying to do it all by myself. Um, and knowing that even though I'm struggling right now, I, I have a lot that I offer as a friend. I'm, I'm a soup maker. I listen. <laughs> you know, we all have different Great, skills. Very good soup. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and I do want to say, too, that the pod mapping, yeah, not just in crisis, not just in disability and chronic illness and illness support, but also... Who are, you, who are you going to call when you have a panic attack at the orgy? <laughs> who, who, are you, who are you gonna call when, when shit hits the van in ways that you could never have imagined? And do you wanna be that person on, the, on receiving that phone call too? There are lots yeah. of ways that we can support each other beyond <laughs> dropping off groceries or making soup. Well, I think also it's interesting because a lot of times when like attending like the workshops for these schools and like, like this and other similar things, it can feel like I know when I first engage with it, I'm like, oh, like I'm gonna do the best. Like I'm going to, <laughs> I'm gonna learn how to do this tool. I'm going to like make my, you know, write down all this stuff. And like it's like, but it's like also kind of like individualized in a very sneaky way, even though it's like talking about. It's it's so contradictory to the framework of like trying to enable us to understand that we live in social ecosystems. And so I like when you're talking about how you're, you know, thinking about how you are a support for others. I think that that is like a very important thing that we can do. And also to connect to, there was a workshop that just happened right before we started doing this live episode that was talking about attachment theory for anarchists. And there was some really inspiring (laughs) content uh, in that, but like thinking yeah, there was like a question about thinking about like how can we support secure attachment on like a community level um, basis, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I'm just think thinking yeah. about that, and I, I I just I like us thinking about our responsibilities to others rather than only thinking about ourselves and what um, what we need because I know for myself too like. I, there's a lot of times where I feel much more in a window of capacity than people around me to actually think critically about what I can offer. And I think it can be a really intense and like kind of lo- uh, feel like a lofty goal for people who are constantly facing crises to be like, oh, well, like, let me take a break from that and, like, sit down and make my pod, um, like, while they're, like, in the midst of, like, the, like, most horrible things, um, ever, which is a lot, a lot of, a lot of people I know, unfortunately, but, um, so, yeah, like, when, when we find ourselves in that window of capacity, I think that's really powerful to be able to, like, think about not only ourselves and what we need, although it is important to yeah. do that when you are in a window of capacity, but then to also think about others. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I also think it helps us to move outside of these monogamous scripts that uh, one person should be able to provide all these things for you all the time. Where if you know that you can, if you're feeling lonely, you can call a friend regardless of what your connection is and what if you held their hand? What if you cuddled? What if you supported each other in um, maybe new intimacies that don't have to mean specific things? It can be whatever y'all want it to mean, but we can, we can be resilient and build intimacy with each other without always spiraling off into what does it mean? What are we? Uh, <laughs> we can figure it out together and exist outside of these realms of platonic, romantic. Why not just create, uh, customize our own connections and do what feels good and when it doesn't, readjust and renegotiate. My role in the podcast is always thinking about the, the naysayers or people who are going to be like <laughs> critical of like what we're saying. And so I'm thinking about, we had hoped to like address today for people who feel like this is just bullshit like i'm never gonna have support there's no one for me like i don't even know how to start doing this i'm wondering like if we could talk about maybe how one might even begin to conceptualize yeah. uh, building networks of support because it sounds so uh, it can sound like it's really easy when we're just like oh yeah just like reach out to a friend and like ask them to kiss and um and, like, <laughs> it is not that easy all the time even though i can make it sound like it is <laughs> it can be and it can't be and yeah yeah but, but there are because there are so many real things that keep us all apart right like where you live modes of transportation uh ability capacity but I'm, I've been really inspired by a friend of mine who, when she moved here, just started posting on Lex. It's trans night at this bar because I'm here. <laughs> Come join me. Well, that, that actually, that reminds me because when I was like thinking about ideas of like, you know, well, what is the first, the first thing that like you could, someone could do to begin to like form meaningful connections where ultimately where they can feel like it's possible to take risks because I, I have the problem where I'm like I feel extremely entitled to be around like uh, people who are like queer and trans and disabled and like who tend to like lean more towards having an orientation towards the world that's similar to myself and so I'm like, oh yeah, there's like heterosexual people that exist, <laughs> and they're, they're out there. And like, there's people who like don't necessarily have like uh, familiarity with these like social containers where um, taking these like relationship risks feels possible. And so like, you know, even though I have my own identities and points of entry to where like. I, I, this feels easier for me now. I mean, I can think of a time, for example, when I first moved to where I live, like, I had uh, no friends at all. And I'm like, well, what did I do? <laughs> like, what did I, how did I even, you know, make my first connections? Like, I had extreme social anxiety to the point that I would just, like, lock myself and or not lock myself literally, but like I would stay home for a very long time, and I'd go to classes, but because um, I was like in college, and I wouldn't really take any relational risks because I just felt so intensely anxious. And I was reflecting on this, and like what I did is like 
I, at the time, I went on Craigslist <laughs> and just was like, "Where are the, you know, where are the gay people?" Um, and I don't know. It's like this, that's not a thing anymore, is it? No, it's not. Yeah, so <laughs> I can say that I, I am a, a millennial, I guess, um, even though I'm a cusper <laughs> because I met someone on Craigslist um, <laughs> personals. But yeah, and then that, and then, <laughs> and then um, going to. Uh, yeah, just like finding a place to go every single like the, like oh it's trans night because I'm here like that kind of thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, that specifically. But like for me, oh going to okay, there's karaoke every night or every um, week on a specific night and just like becoming a regular there. And then like that's like a social container where you know you see someone enough times or you see people enough times then, you know, slowly you can maybe begin to imagine a possibility of, like, actually getting to know each other beyond just, you know, listen to mm-hmm. each other sing, like, songs really badly. <laughs> I also want to speak to um, being disabled and immunocompromised during the pandemic right now. It makes it extremely hard to meet people. And I'm also someone who spends the majority of my time bedbound. And particularly back when I didn't have a pod, that was the main reason. I was like, who's going to meet me in my bed? (laughs) I cannot go out to these places. And through Tinder, (laughs) I ended up meeting other disabled and trans people uh, who would come and read to me in bed. Um, Because I was at a point where I could not read, I couldn't write, um, had a lot of neurological stuff going on. And that's where I started out. And... So I think what, what you can do matters and is important, and there can be a lot of grief around, um, especially right now, that mask mandates have all dropped and people are mm-hmm. acting like this isn't happening. Uh, this it, being it, the pandemic. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the ongoing pandemic that's still happening. Um, so that's a real barrier, but there are other people who, who are taking precautions, who are taking this seriously, and for instance, these events uh, that I mentioned, like where we've been meeting up, the way that we've been handling it is making sure that there's a space where we can be outside all the time, having HEPA filters running, mutual aid sourcing COVID tests because they've been so difficult to find, which there's now a link for free COVID tests coming out again. So that's great. <laughs> Finally, a little late, but we're getting there. <laughs> so I just want to speak to that grief as well, because it's not especially like before the pandemic, yeah, sure, could you just go to this event and meet people? Um, But there are real Mm -hmm. barriers keeping us apart. But we can find ways to break through that and to uh, connect with folks who are sharing perhaps like similar protocols for navigating the pandemic. Like connecting with other immunocompromised people has been life-saving for me, honestly, just to um, have that sort of access intimacy together about the reality that we're living in. Thanks for sharing that. I was wondering, I don't, and I feel, we have more to cover, but I also don't, I'm kind of curious, like, if people, like, wanted, had any, like, questions yeah. or things that, like, don't make sense <laughs> about what we're talking about since we're, like, live. Or um, things that we've missed that so, we want to discuss. I mean, we could come up with more things to keep talking about. I have, we have things written down. But <laughs> what do you think about that? Do you th- yeah. Like, any questions at all? Mm. Okay, so the question is, 
what what are the things that make you uh, the signifiers that make you want to invite someone into your pod? Is that right? Yeah, like closer. Yes. I would say for me that it starts with COVID protocols. That's a big thing for me as an immunocompromised person, as well as a commitment to relationship anarchy or something similar and knowing that uh, there there's a multitude of possibility or that they're working towards that. Because I found I just, I cannot cut, like fuck with couple vibes. It is too much for me most of the time. Uh, <laughs> and, even, you know, there are people who are working through that stuff, but it can just be too much for me. And I, I also have found just a deep affinity with other trans and queer people. I just find that, that those are people that I end up trusting more as well as neurodivergent people. I'm discovering I really struggle to understand people who are not uh, neurodivergent. <laughs> I don't pick up on the social cues. I can't really tell when they're upset and they don't say something. So I really like when I when I know that somebody is going to tell me when I've maybe mm-hmm. accidentally crossed a boundary or their feelings are hurt. I, I love it when people say like, hey, this hurt my feelings. Or when people tell me no, fucking love huh. that shit. <laughs> Makes me feel so good. Oh, I can trust you. Yes, so much more. So I, I honestly think that's the most important thing. Like being able to communicate how they're feeling or even just to say, I don't know how I'm feeling right now is, is really big to me. And I think there's many different ways that we connect. So there's not this specific person necessarily that I'm looking for. It's uh, Mm -hmm. trying to find that place where we meet in the middle of, are we kind of looking for the same things? We wanting to explore some things? Because it can be something as, I don't want to say simple because it's not simple, but emotional support or maybe a purely sexual or kink connection. It doesn't have to tick all these boxes. I feel like that's the term you always hear in Love Island, right? Where they're like, (laughs) this person ticks all my boxes. I don't need that. Um, I didn't know you watched Love Island. Oh, outing, outing myself. <laughs> I, I need the straight drama. I don't have a ton of drama in my life. So I, it's so kidding? intriguing to me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that as long as I feel like I can trust their yes and no's, that's the biggest thing for me. Great question. Um, okay, I thought of an answer too. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> for me, I think I I have been extremely like hum- humbled this past year with uh, learning about just a wide range of like possibilities that can exist with people I might not have expected I would feel like able to be connected to and so something that I have learned to appreciate in others is curiosity like if, Mm -hmm. if they can be curious because I think that if I have the goal of only having connections with people who already have landed exactly where I'm and like how I feel about like relationships it can be very limiting because it's such a process and like even though who I am like the reason I've landed here is like a like a relationship anarchist somebody committed to thinking outside of romantic dominant like couple dominant frameworks um I've landed here because of like being disabled uh, mostly, really, and uh, what I've learned through that, and but not all disabled people land in the same place, uh, right. even, and so that's just my my journey. But anyways, I like to think I like to be open to the, to the fact that everyone is on a, a different is on a different journey. We don't all have to land in the same place. But what I did, what I uh, have realized, is that like 
it's okay if people don't articulate themselves in the same way or talk about like who they are in the same way as me but if I feel like I'm going to be pushed to the side as soon as if, if they're gonna like find someone that they make the center of their world I can't um, I, I will I won't pull them closer because it feels like really really offensive honestly so well said. um and it's not about like dishonoring um or like not having respect for people's various forms of intimacy i i do believe that like we are more intimate with some people over others and like that's just going to be a, a fact but i think when it's like a prescriptive like oh i'm entering into like this romantic thing so if that's not something that like our relationship contains then now you don't mean as much to me and you just have to accept that like but if, if they can like just be curious and open to like not having that hierarchy then i will be open to pulling them closer into a more trusting pod role in my life i guess i also want to speak to i've encountered some people who haven't thought of the possibility where i have some friends who are on the asexual spectrum who maybe are only sexually interested in one person at a time, but who are still so committed to relationship anarchy where people see them as coupley, which is wild to me <laughs> because they have such fulfilling, intimate friendships where I never feel cast to the side in, in mm -hmm. the way that you're describing, um, which is again, maintaining that curiosity because if I had stuck to this box of, oh, well, you're not exploring other people sexually, so you're not really ABC, which is wild, by the way. That's just not true. I think it's it's another way to open your mind to the possibility as well of different types of intimacy that aren't just sexual, but still creating these very strong bonds um, and ways of showing up for each other that transcend this uh, yeah. normative model. I, I want to bounce off that because I think something that I had written down that I was hoping to have people come away, I want people to come away with this, is that like, there's a lot of times where I think people believe that they're in a more limited relational dynamic than they are, so... We're too autistic for this. <laughs> um, yeah. Fuck the police! <laughs> yeah, so I think that like, for this example that you're talking about, where it's like somebody who identifies as, as monogamous because that's what they're like, oh, you know, I, I only want to have this like physically intimate thing um, with this person. And so, and, and I'm not really interested in pursuing that specific thing with anyone else. Therefore, I'm monogamous. But then there's people who it's like, that's not true. They still invest so deeply in their platonic friendships and they, you know, explore. They are very fluid in the way that they move through connection. I. The, there's so many people like that and so I guess what I want um, people to like think about more is like maybe divesting from this like commitment to these like labels um, and not to dilute like the importance of like I, I really think that it is a worthy cause to divest from the couple form and to really I think it's a worthy cause to invest deeply in our friendships more than this like romantic uh, you know romantic love but also I think we can like participate in a range of these different styles of relationships but like what what could be possible if we divested from these labels because really 
maybe if you, you know, anyone here, if you haven't done it yet, you know, you write down all your connections in your pod, and maybe you had called yourself monogamous, and maybe you are calling yourself monogamous, but you're like, oh, wait a minute, like, but I have a deep love with this person and this person and this person, but I never really thought about it like that. There's a lot of value in realizing and like naming the connections that we do already have. And, and then w when we do that, if we can divest from these labels and being so committed to performing, like being a couple to the world, it's like, I wonder what's possible as far as inspiring the people around us to also follow that lead. I, I do feel like more of an optimist yeah. <laughs> in this way, and this is re relevant to the, to the last workshop as well, where I'm like, I really believe that there's a lot of like radical possibilities that exist within, you know, the, the tools that we have access to, even as we are like living under these crushing systems mm -hmm. um, that are exploiting us and, and robbing us of so much of our life force. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like, first of all, I love the, the couple to the world. I love that. And just listening to what y'all said, I had a thought. Um, and they're probably all over the place. Um, That's all right. <laughs> when you were talking about uh, taking chances in a relationship, mm -hmm. um, I'm also thinking about um, upholding the integrity of it. So for someone who thinks that it's, for someone who doesn't think it's fair to cross into non-monogamous uh, territory when you've like established a um, foundation of one that was monogamous, mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts that, that challenge that idea? I bet we have a lot, we both Wait. have a lot of thoughts about Wait. this. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think what you were asking is, uh, when there's a relationship that starts out as monogamous and perhaps there's uh, different desires about how uh, one person perhaps wants to be non-monogamous and the other doesn't. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. yeah. I feel like that is usually a situation that is destined to not work out, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, because if someone doesn't want to move into that space, you know, I've, I've had instances in my life where I've had connections with someone who is monogamous and when that happens, for it to have happened in a way that feels good without a ton of conflict, it's had to be sort of recognizing that it's only going to be for a certain amount of time. Because if someone's really committed to monogamy, they're looking for somebody to be their person, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Whereas non-monogamy, you're moving to this place of abundance where how could you ever sum up your connections as one person, right? So it's kind of a at odds experience. And I always say to people who, even if there's two people who really want to move into non-monogamy together, who started out monogamous, you really have to be prepared for the possibility that that connection is going to end. Because, because no matter what, when you're moving into non-monogamy, you're going to change a lot. And we're all changing all the time. But especially in that way, your connection is just going to change so much. I like it where I like how we are different perspectives. Well, it's not I don't disagree with you, but like yeah, I'm just like thinking about how the what what constitutes monogamy um, is arbitrary because what constitutes cheating is different for everybody. And so I guess I'm just thinking about how it would require like kind of a shift if somebody's like really like I don't want to be non-monogamous in their, you know, communicating with a partner that they're currently in a monogamous relationship with, 
I would just want to ask, like, well, like, what, what does that mean to you? Because some people, it means that to maintain the integrity of the monogamous relationship requires that you disregard the significance of all other connections um, and that you, like, you know, even having any kind of emotional intimacy can be a violation of that. But, like, regardless of, like, I guess, yeah, like what relationships you like the I feel I personally think like monogamy is like a pretty contrived like concept. Like we we exist in social ecosystems. So regardless of like what you say like you can put up a border around like your social energy and your loving energy, but like it's like it seems like kind of exhausting. <laughs> but like um but like I just I guess I would just ask like, you know, what does that mean? Because <laughs> Sorry. Well, like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. But I guess I, I, I would think, I would think it would be worth it to just really interrogate, like, what is monogamy, and like, what do you want to get out of that? Like, what, what do you need from that? Um, because it's probably like a, a sense of security. But is there another way to like find that security in, in, in your connection? So, and that, that's just what comes to mind for me. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well said. Um, but Another I think oh, we're, oh no, you go first. well I feel like we're coming up on, on the time here. Okay, we so. have one more question. Oh, we have another question. Yeah. Go for it. Five minutes? Okay. So you spoke about um, the support that you can give to others in the community. How do you go about intersecting what you can give as support Yeah. what the other needs or wants mm. methods? So what are the methods of intersecting like what you can give? with what the world needs. I hate to say it again, but the relationship smorgasbord yeah, is a the, great way. It's a fantastic the, tool to to build your own plates in your relationship, to, to see where you're aligned and where you're different, where um, the needs and uh, capacity might vary. I, I'm very autistic. I use it on all my like first one-on-one -on -one hangs. I think it's a great way to set expectations. <laughs> but I have heard, I have heard from neurotypical people that's apparently not always fun <laughs> on, a, on a first date, which blows my mind. But uh, <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> You're like, um, I can't understand this. Yeah. Um, this isn't the way. You mean the way that I orient to the world isn't exactly how you think? <laughs> <laughs> Difficult, but. Um, I think that's that's a really great tool um, at any point, whatever feels good, to, to really figure out what you both have to, to offer and what you both want to receive, um, because I think it kind of forces those conversations to be really direct about that, because um, you're literally building your own plate of what you want this specific relationship to look like. Mm -hmm. I think that, well, like, in order to, like, to figure out like how what you have to offer can be compatible or incompatible with like what someone else needs like it requires like a relationship that has some communication and so i do think that like it potentially if like you're thinking about like what you have to offer but the so you haven't necessarily had anything asked of you or like it's like a new new territory for you to like have that um communication it can be awkward i, I don't know if that's like what's in your mind but this is just what i'm i'm thinking of inspired from the question and so um i i guess i'm just thinking about like that i i'm like definitely in in the process of trying to think about relationships uh outside of the box or whatever 
I think that there's been like a lot of awkward moments and there still is every <laughs> fucking day. <laughs> um, and so like, but I would say like, I think the awkwardness and the vulnerability is like worth it. It's just like, but it's not to like diminish how dysregulating it can sometimes feel, but just to say that like, I think that the rewards, like I think there's a lot of times where like, for example, if you like reveal to someone that like, you want to support them in a certain way or like you know you want to uplift like your relationship in a way that they didn't expect um and maybe you hadn't had like a precedent for that conversation some people could be very surprised and like feel really um inspired and like they could feel really good about that in a way that um yeah even even if it could be dysregulating at first, like, I think, like, just keep trying, <laughs> like, ta keep taking risks, and I, I guess I think that, like, there, there's a lot of reward in, in people realizing that, like, there's people that want to be there for them. Absolutely. Um, I also think it can help, too, to try to ask these questions. It's very hard in these times <laughs> to time things like this, but if it can happen before a crisis, because I think it's very common in a crisis that we all kind of mm -hmm. say, what do you need? What can I do? And when someone's really in the thick of it, it's just, I don't fucking know. <laughs> How am I supposed to know? So perhaps having those conversations beforehand so you can perhaps prompt more instead of saying, what do you need? Saying, before you said you really liked this type of support when you're in a crisis. Is, is this what you'd like now? Can I think make it easier to accept help as well when we need it? Thanks for the question. Yeah. Thank you so much everybody. Yeah, I think I think that's a wrap. <laughs> 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 Thanks everyone. Thank you so much.